A couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege of leading a service which my youngest daughter professed her faith in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and I chose uh, to preach on 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, we're reading through 1 Timothy as, as a family. We read through books of the Bible, which I highly recommend you to do around, uh, uh, around the table in your home. Whoever's there, just read through a book of the Bible and uh, we talk about it. We have a little commentary. We read a few paragraphs on each chapter. And so we were reading First uh, Timothy 1 and I thought it's a perfect passage. This is one of uh, Paul's testimonies of, of the Lord's mercy and grace in his life. And uh, during that service a couple weeks ago, we heard the, the testimony of my daughter and another uh, girl from the church professing their faith. And uh, this served as an encouragement uh, for all of us to have very detailed and passionate testimony of what the Lord has done in, in our life, and uh, how important that is and what a privilege that is. So I'm going to read from 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's our reading from God's holy word here this afternoon. Brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, music uh, has always held a real uh, strong appeal to me. My favorite artists, my favorite songs, I love discovering new music, especially music that draws me into the truth of Scripture and gives voice you know, to the, the different experiences of life, the ups and downs of life, and Music has a particularly powerful ability to express that and to uh, lead to, to good places. I mean, bad music can lead to bad places, but I'm talking about good music here. And one of my favorite experiences after discovering an artist or discovering a great song is seeing them live in a concert. I've been to a number of these where they're able to display kind of their vulnerability and they'll tell you the sort of the story behind the song. They'll tell you what, what they were going through as they wrote the song and suddenly your appreciation of that particular song is just multiplied, you know, 20, 30, 40 times because all of a sudden you realized what the Spirit was doing in their life and where that song came from, how that, that the writing of that song, the composing of that song intersected with what 
with what Jesus Christ was doing in their life. And then they were able to give voice to that in a way that has helped so many different people. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a testimony of what God uh, was doing. And oftentimes it's, it's on the other side of a particular trial or difficulty or temptation. They're then able to write the song and then express just, just what they've discovered sometimes after years of what God actually was doing. So a couple of weeks ago, it was a wonderful thing. If you're a parent here of, uh, of a child, a, a teenager, and to get to that point where you see them stand at the front of church and, and talk about how much they love the Lord and how much they love the scriptures, how much they love Jesus Christ and want to follow him, it's a it's a particularly glorious and wonderful time in the history of, of being a parent. Maybe more so mine as the fourth of four daughters who professed their faith, and I was there for, for all of them. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful experience of, of, of God's mercy and grace over the decades of, of, being, a, of being a dad. And a testimony is, is a powerful way to point away from ourselves to draw people's attention to the center of our life, our King and our Savior, our Lord. And I, I wonder about you, you here this afternoon as we're considering Paul's particular testimony. There's others of Paul. He talks quite, uh, ex- expresses his vulnerability in a number of different ways in terms of what the Lord did and how guilty he was. But he does it in a particularly compelling way here in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I just wonder about you here this afternoon, uh, whether you have a testimony that you would say expresses just the depth and the power and the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done, and whether you're willing to be vulnerable and express that testimony and bear witness to that testimony of God's work in your story uh, to the world around us. So Christ's love meeting us in our stories, that's our theme here as we kind of get our direction from Paul, writing this letter to, uh, to young pastor Timothy. We'll look at three points. Uh, first of all, he talks about mercy, secondly, grace, thirdly, patience. So just you know, expressing this diff- the different parts of God's character, God's love meeting him in his story. So first of all, mercy, mercy from a friend. So he expresses that he is thankful. Paul often expresses his thanksgiving. For giving me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. He often identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. And uh, at a time in which people said and expressed that Caesar was Lord, Paul confidently expressed that Jesus Christ was Lord. The crucified and risen Jesus Christ is Lord. And Paul was one of the apostles of the church, and that stood as as the, the creed of that early church. Christ is Lord. We've seen him. We know he died, and we testify that he did not remain dead. He rose from the, the grave, and he is Lord. But if you know Paul's story at all, you know this was not always so at all for Paul. His self-analysis is rather, is rather 
brutal, candid. He doesn't hold back in terms of who he once was. His self-condemnation is really honest. Not only did he deny that Christ was Lord, he was a blasphemer, punishable by death in the Old Testament times, and not just that, but a persecutor. So anyone who affirmed that Christ was Lord, he made it his, his life's purpose uh, to arrest them and persecute them. He became one of the most ardent and violent and vicious opponents, not just of Jesus Christ, but of all those who follow Jesus, so the church of our Lord and Savior. He was hostile toward anyone who claimed to follow Jesus and attacked the bride. He was an insolent opponent in verse, in verse 13. You might remember his conversion story when Jesus stopped him on the road and this great light shone down from heaven. This voice came and, and he, didn't, he didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? This voice from Jesus came and said, why are you persecuting me? He's so identified with his bride that to touch his bride was to touch Jesus himself. And Paul came to understand uh, that he was not just an opponent of the church, but he was an opponent of Jesus. So what happened? Well, this, this act of, of Christ running after Paul, and rather than punishing him, saving him, turning him from this vicious, vicious opponent of the church to one of the greatest advocates for the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul can't help throughout his letters, and you can imagine if you met him face to face, what you'd conclude about him is he is a thankful person. Like that, that part of his story never left him. It's, it's like it's on the, the, just the tip of his tongue all the time that he's just full of thanksgiving because he realizes who he was and what Christ had turned him into. And now he appointed me to his service. He judged me faithful. All of this language is actually very personal. And, and Paul has, has come from not just, not just recognizing Christ Jesus as Lord, but as friend. That's why I, I phrased this, mercy from a friend. He was an enemy of the cross. He's been turned through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ into a friend. I received mercy at the end of, uh, of verse 13. And it's a little different than grace, which we'll look, look at in a moment. Mercy especially carries with it the, the idea of receiving pity. So it's someone looking on you when you're miserable and your life is kind of ruined and it's your own fault and you got nothing to offer and you're just down and out, and somebody comes along and takes pity on you. It's the act of, it's the act of, of a friend. And that's the language here. Pity towards someone who deserves punishment. And Paul's 
testimony is so powerful because of his experience of God's mercy never left him. It was a living, breathing reality. It wasn't just kind of a historical event in his life, but a living, breathing reality. So if he were here with us this morning and, and we just kind of asked him, like, you denied that Jesus Christ was Lord. Like, you persecuted the Son of God. Like, every time he dragged men and women out of their homes to prison, it was like he was dragging Jesus around the city and throwing him in prison. And torturing Jesus, that's what it was like. How do you explain, and I'm sure there were people in in his day when he showed up as as now a friend of the church that said, "How, how can you explain this? How is it possible after what you've done? How can you now be in his service a friend of Jesus Christ? And the mantra of, of coming for Paul over and over again would just be the same, I receive mercy, it's the only reason. He'll say a number of times, I could list all of the, like the, all of the great things I've done, all the religious deeds I've done, it means nothing. The only reason I'm here, the only reason I'm a friend of Jesus Christ, I'm in his service, is because God had mercy on me. I just finished reading a a book called The Reason for God by Tim Keller, and uh, he writes at one point in in this book, the Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, and yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone. And yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself or less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. I think that really kind of sums up Paul's character. He's just always talking about Jesus. And he's always just expressing a heart that's just overflowing with thankfulness for who he is. Because he remembers who he was. And he received pity and mercy. Before we move on to the second point, I guess I would just ask you this one question. If anyone were to stop you in the middle of your day and just, just asked you, who are you? The first thing that would creep to your mind, I'm a, I'm a friend of Jesus Christ because he had mercy on me. I was an enemy. I deserve to be an enemy. I'm a friend. Because Jesus Christ chose to show mercy towards me. So Christ's love meeting us in our stories. First of all, mercy from a friend. Second, he describes grace like an overflowing river. Grace like an overflowing river. Verse 14 uh, in particular. I don't know if you've uh, followed some of the stories from out in the western United States. I think maybe kind of the, the amount of rain they got out there is, is kind of dissipated now. I'm not sure. I lived on the west coast for about 11 years. And so um, 
stories draw my attention going on on the West Coast, but it's always a huge problem getting water to places in California because a big part of California is desert. And so it can be hard. There's not, they're often in, in a drought, long-standing drought. And so all of a sudden they've got just been deluged by, by rain, especially in um, November and, and uh, December. And um, they've stored, this, this is the good news, they've stored 8.4 billion gallons behind 14 large dams in the San Gabriel Mountains. It's going to come in handy um, later on. It came in handy already easing floods, but later on they'll be able to release some of those floods and uh, pour that water during, uh, during drought season. But I also read that throughout those two months in particular, they stored 8.4 billion gallons of water, but they lost tens of billions of gallons of water to the Pacific Ocean. It just flowed right into the Pacific Ocean, um, which you imagine doesn't need any more water, and uh, just kind of overflowed and spilled out. That's how Paul describes his experience, a deluge of grace. Billions upon billions, torrents of water washing over him. The grace of our Lord, verse 14, overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That's how we're supposed to think now of grace, which is like undeserved favor. Like someone who would have every right to look on you and me with disfavor, with punishment for our guilt and our shame. Instead, dealing with us, treating us with undeserved favor, that's grace. And that's his story. And that's how we're supposed to think of his, of his grace meeting us in our stories. A torrent overflowing us and washing our sins into the sea. Now Paul picks up what was most likely already a creed of the early church. Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. You'll notice that phrase about, I think about five or six times in the pastoral epistles. Some of the last letters that Paul wrote. And he gathers up some of these early creeds. And he says, and he inscripturates it and says this is true. And that early creed was, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's, it's like the Apostles' Creed, right? It's simple, it's short, it's kind of pithy, but it, it was memorable. And so people who came to church would like, this is what those people believe, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, of whom I am the foremost. So he takes a creed, which everybody in the early church professed as the truth, and then he made it personal. And we're, we're going to confess the Apostles' Creed in just a few minutes. And uh, that's never to remain just kind of a you know, creed outside of ourselves that we say in church, you know, every Sunday. But we're to make it personal. Of whom I am the foremost, or more literally, I am the first. So if we're rating sinners that Christ Jesus came into the world to save, I'm at the top of the list. I'm not comparing myself to you know, Hitler at the top and Mother Teresa at the bottom or however, however way people might you know, rate the top sinners or the, the top saints or whatever. I'm the first. I mean, here's one of the greatest 
servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows he's a friend of God. But when, when it comes to his creed, when it comes to how he looks at himself and how he looks at Christ, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm, I'm never going to forget that I'm at the top of the list of those that needed saving. I'm the foremost, the top, the first place. When I think of what the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ had to accomplish in my life, that's how I think of myself. I needed it the most. A religious person, and there are many religious people out there, uh, in Christian churches and, and other churches, a religious person feels confident in his or her her own accomplishments, a sense of having earned something from God, and the ability then to look down on others. The gospel liberates us to freely admit what we would be, who we would be, what we would look like, what our condition would be without Jesus Christ. Tim Keller writes in another place in the, in the same book, The Reason for God, we usually begin the journey toward God thinking, what do I have to do to get this or that from him? A lot of our prayers um, can often look like that. But eventually we have to begin thinking, what do I have to do to get him? If you don't make that transition, you will never actually meet the real God, but will only end up believing in some character version of him. Eventually, we have to begin thinking, what do I have to do to get him? Paul writes like he knows Jesus Christ. He expresses thanksgiving for mercy and grace as the one who is, who is in the first place in terms of the sinner that Christ Jesus came to die for. And to save. And so throughout his letters, he's just always exalting his love and his mercy and his grace. Including how the grace of the Lord overflowed for him. Somebody uh, long before Paul wrote words that kind of sound familiar or similar. The Lord is my shepherd. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's been the testimony of the church uh, for all time that we need to be a recipient of the grace and the mercy, the undeserved favor and kindness of God in Jesus Christ. So mercy in a friend uh, grace like an overflowing river. And finally, patience in a portrait. Uh, verse 16. I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So there, there, he, there he expresses it. The reason why God took me from where I was and poured out mercy and grace on me was to use me as a witness. But the word he uses there from the Greek actually has the, has the idea of, of a sketch or a portrait. So it's like 
It's like God is displaying his mercy and grace in actual people. And then the people that he turns from, from darkness and from lostness and from brokenness and sin and shame and guilt become this witness to his mercy and grace. So now, mercy and grace is not just, they're not just words on a piece of paper, not just you know, words in, 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 in the scriptures, but now they're this living, breathing display. You're going to celebrate sacrament of communion next, next Lord's Day, and that, that's as well, right? That's a drama. It's, it's the scripture, and then it's another means of grace. It's this participation together in the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's this something we can touch and see. And he's like, this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm taking people from lostness, and I'm finding them, and from deadness to life, from darkness to light, and then I'm sending them out there as, as a portrait of what I'm capable of doing, what I am doing, and what I'm able to do even for the, the greatest of, of sinners. A prime example, a wonderful picture, a portrait to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Because Paul is always thinking as that preacher to the Gentiles, always thinking about those who have not yet heard. That's who is commissioned to preach to, the Gentiles, who had never yet heard uh, the good news of, of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm a portrait for what God does with the worst of sinners. In Burlington at, at Fellowship Church, we're, we're just kind of in the beginning stages of trying to start up a, an ESL ministry, English as a Second Language. And uh, you think of Burlington as, as a very wealthy place, and it, it is. I remember moving here from the West, uh, trying to decide where to kind of land and where we would rent a house. And I just, as we do, I typed into Google, you know, best places to live around southern Ontario. Burlington was right at the top of the list. So we moved, when we moved, we moved to Burlington. We live in Hamilton now, which I don't think is quite as high up on, on that list, although we live in a, we love where we're living. Um, but right in Burlington, there's, uh, there's all kinds of low-rent um, apartment buildings. There's, there's lots of people that have moved here from other countries. We had a barbecue at downtown Burlington one time in a, in a space that we like to use. And we had people from India, from Iraq, Iran, Bangladesh, China, Mexico, all, all over the world. And they had come there pretty recently and they were living in apartment buildings in Burlington. And so we like to start an ESL uh, ministry, uh, particularly a ministry to make connections with our neighbors and to serve our community in a way that we could, they could really use and they would really appreciate. And in that, the material that we're going to be using is, is material that quotes scripture and talks about the Lord Jesus in a way also to, uh, to introduce them to Jesus Christ. So in our training recently, our trainer had us sit, sitting in circles just with a few of us at a table and then we had to practice uh, talking about what God had done in our life so that we could just talk freely and, and openly and honestly about what Jesus Christ had done. So the first question was, what's your favorite verse? And we had, we had a lady uh, in the training session there from, uh, from Nigeria. And 
before anyone could volunteer, she said right away, Romans 8, verse 28. Romans 8, verse 28, which goes like this. I know this verse, but I just couldn't remember it right now with all of you looking at me. <laughs> we, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And then she went on and just gave a, like this two-minute testimony of particular ways in which the Lord had showed her the truth of that verse. Long-term engagement to, to a man who broke up with her uh, just, you know, before their, uh, a month before their wedding day. And the Lord had just shown how, how good he is to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And, and she's just like this sketch pad of what God had done and is doing in, in her life. And how she has become just this, this witness now to all others. Uh, as an example of the patience of God to sinners like us. And Paul ends, after talking about mercy, grace, and patience, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Like to remind us that this Lord Jesus Christ, who is friend, like he's the king of the ages, and he came down to die for sinners. He's immortal, and he gave away his life for sinners, guilty, shameful sinners like you and me. Invisible, the only God, the I am. <laughs> to him be honor and glory forever and ever, returning to his theme of giving praise and honor and glory to God because it never left him. He was saved only because of, of the cross. Now, my daughter chose this song for us to sing after her profession of faith that we sang together in church. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. So Keller uh, concludes his book, The Reason for God, by talking about a woman in his congregation that came up to him one Sunday and um, recorded, kind of recounted the story of her life. Uh, so he writes at the end of that book, during a dark time in her life, a woman in my congregation complained that she had prayed over and over, God, help me find you. So that was her prayer, God, help me find you. But her testimony was that it had gone nowhere. And then as she's recounting to him, uh, she talked about a Christian friend suggested to her that she might change her prayer to God, come and find me. After all, you're the good shepherd who goes looking for lost sheep. And so as she, she was recounting this to him, he writes at the end of the book, she concluded when she was recounting this to me, saying, the only reason I can tell you this story is he did. She prayed, God, come and find me. The only reason I could tell you this story is he did. Well, I would encourage you, if, if you don't yet have that experience of knowing the mercy, the pity, the grace, the patience of God, or you know you're the first of sinners, but Christ came into the world to save sinners, 
and you know who you are, and you got a testimony, if, if you don't yet know that joy, that liberation, then pray that prayer, that he would come and find you. But that if you know that mercy and grace, then let that be your story this week. Let us be living examples, portraits, sketches, as it were, of the living God, telling the world around us a dark and lost world, still at enmity with God, just how uh, great his mercy and grace and patience really are. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for thank you for the gift of your Son, but um, thank you, Lord, and for the work that you are continuing to do within us, even to the point of using us as a witness to the greatness of your grace. And Lord, the more that we remember um, your power, your glory, the more that we sing of that, the more we express our thanksgiving, the more that, that that wonder, that awe lives within us, not only, not only will our relationship with you be deeper, not only will we have more power against sin and temptation, but Lord, all the more we will be fruitful in displaying, being used as a display of your mercy and grace to the, the world around us that feels increasingly antagonistic to the gospel and increasingly empty and devoid of hope, looking to be satisfied in all kinds of things, but not finding satisfaction, guilty and shameful. And Lord, we pray that this week you would use us as a portrait of your mercy and grace. Our sins, they are many. But your mercy is more. Um, and we thank you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Let's sing for our song of response. We'll stand together and sing uh, 429, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.